I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Our week this week is April 26th through May 2nd. We're still in quarantine, it seems like, uh, <laughs> going forward. And this week, if we looked at the spread of dates across church history, we could verge towards quite a few different areas. Uh, John Nelson Darby, uh, famed founder of dispensationalism, he dies on the 29th of April in 1882. The, the Edict of Toleration was signed on the 30th of April in 311, and Maybe we could even talk about Methodist missionary and circuit rider William Taylor, who was born on the 2nd of May in 1821. And honestly, we're going to look forward to talking about those issues uh, in the future uh, episodes for sure. But I really was fascinated with and digging around uh, our, our dates for this week and finding that on the 27th of April in 1667, Samuel Simmons, the the publisher secured the rights of Paradise Lost from Milton. Uh, Milton's work, Paradise Lost, becomes this amazing uh, volume with unbelievable influence throughout the English-speaking world from its first publication in 1667 all the way through to the modern age. Milton stated that the work was designed to, quote, justify the ways of God to men, end quote. So outside of the Bible, I don't know that there's another volume in the English language that has so shaped or molded imaginations quite in the way that Milton's did. So that's what we're going to turn today is, has paradise truly been lost? Uh, and this brings us to our author this week, and our author is none other than Karen Swallow Pryor, professor of English at Liberty University, and will soon be starting as the research professor at Southeastern Seminary uh, in the fall of 2020. Uh, she is a frequent contributor to Christianity Today, The Atlantic, Washington Post, First Things, the list goes on and on. She's also the author of On Reading Well, Finding the Good Life Through Great Literature, a book that I highly recommend, uh, recently released, and also Fierce Convictions, The Extraordinary Life of Hannah Moore, Poet, Reformer, and Abolitionist. Uh, and we will have to have uh, Ms. Pryor back for another episode to talk about that particular volume. Hannah Moore is fascinating in her network that's there. Uh, she's also a senior fellow with Liberty University's uh, Center for Apologetics and Cultural Engagement, a senior fellow with Trinity Forum. She can easily be found on social media platforms as KS Pryor, but uh, even better, you could search Twitter for Notorious KSP and find her as well. So welcome to This Week in Church History, uh, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. It's a great week. <laughs> it really is. And we are so excited that uh, this quarantine edition is coming from your home. And uh, that uh, is something that we're all getting to experience and enjoy uh, doing things uniquely from home. Maybe, yes, it is. <laughs> maybe we'll even get to hear your, your dogs or other animals in the background. You uh, post even on your website that uh, your love and affection for animals. Yes, they are a great blessing from God to us. I'm thankful for them. <laughs> so let's turn and talk about uh, Milton and Paradise Lost. Uh, let me lead off with just a kind of a broader question for you. Uh, why is Paradise Lost so essential to understanding uh, really culture in general, but even more specifically Christian culture in the English-speaking world? 
Hmm. That's a great question. And I'll just, I'll start by differing slightly with something you said in the introduction, but then explaining why I think it's still is important to consider these two works. I would say the most influential work in the English speaking language besides the English version of the Bible is um, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, yeah. But interestingly enough, and this is really significant, Bunyan and Milton were basically peers. Um, their lives overlapped. They were both Puritans living in a tumultuous time in England. Um, and they were writing really not just from their Puritan theology, but even their Puritan aesthetic, which maybe we can get into later. So, so Bunyan wrote an allegory uh, because he Puritans sort of disdained fiction and Milton you know, became a poet from a young age and wrote this great epic as a Puritan poet. Um, so there's a lot to say about how the Puritans, not only in their theology, but in their artistry, have really shaped um, the Christian imagination. And of course, yes, Milton, Paradise Lost has, has done that um, in powerful ways because Milton, I mean, just in a sort of the most general way, um, Milton took one of the longest standing, most revered and respected genres of literature, the epic, <laughs> uh, which we see in ancient Greek and Roman literature, right. and wrote an English epic and a Christian epic, which had was completely unprecedented. So with this, uh, you, you did kind of open the door to talk about a Puritan aesthetic. What is that? What would define um, a piece of literature as having a, a Puritan aesthetic? Well, the, you know, there are there are a number of things. Um, in, in Bunyan's case, as I said before, he wrote something in, in the form of allegory because, because allegory, even though it involves, you know, a made-up tale, it's not considered fiction because the made-up tale is is the is symbolic and 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 pointing to using symbols that point to actual real truth, not fiction. And in Milton's case, it's a, you know he comes from that tradition. Fiction was around, but it wasn't really respected. Mm -hmm. um, it was seen as something sort of entertaining. So um, Milton isn't writing in fiction that comes about later in the in the next century. Um, so he writes in poetry and it's interesting because anyone who's tried to read Paradise Lost, which I hope, I hope people will maybe be inspired to through this conversation. Right. It's not, it's not simple, plain poetry, um, the way that Bunyan writes sort of simple allegory. Um, but it is adhering to a Puritan aesthetic in a, in a number of other ways. Number, number one, he uses blank verse, which is very unusual mm -hmm. um, because the epic tradition used heroic couplets. And so the, in, in English that translates to rhyming. Um, so Milton does, his poetry doesn't rhyme. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it's yet, it's still very poetic, very rich. And then another thing that sometimes, modern day readers find confusing in terms of the, the form of the poem is that he gives just, just as Bunyan glosses Pilgrim's progress with little notes on the side, telling us what's going on. Uh, Milton includes an argument at the beginning of each book, which is mm -hmm. essentially a summary of what's happening because it is important for, I mean, he's writing not just poetry, but he's writing 
theology and doctrine and and history, even though it's extra biblical, it's still drawn from biblical history. And he wants his readers to know what's going on in addition to appreciating the the beauty of the language. So his theology, uh, I find it fascinating, this this concept, even in the introduction of, of justifying uh, this to the uh, justifying God to to men. Why this this idea that um, why this idea of justifying God? That seems to be almost uh, anti-puritanical, right? It's God is sovereign. We don't need to justify anything. We're just going to allow this to um, just to be. Why is he seeking to do it in this direction? Well, that's that's a really good question, um, and some of this has to do, I think, with the um, the way that language has evolved, and and um, and, and we use words differently. Um, some versions of of uh, Paradise Lost will actually gloss that word yeah. and explain that it's not so much that he, the way that we would use the word like uh, rationalize or prove um, or you know, make a defense of even, but that he's literally going to show God's justice. Yeah. Um, and show how God is just. And that's, I think that's really how he meant the word then. And it, but it includes the other idea, um, because it, it is a way of justifying, but, uh, it's a more of a, um, less defensive and more, I think, assertive, just God is just, and this, I'm going to show that in this story. So it's, it's been um, a while since I had done any kind of work with with Milton specifically, and as I was d- you know, refreshing for our conversation today, I ran across numerous articles, uh, scholarly articles and journals that tried to make it Milton out to be actually on the side of the devil uh, instead mm. of the side of God. Uh, what's the story there? Why would scholars be thinking that maybe... Uh, uh, Milton's ideas are actually <laughs> anti-God. Well, this, you've just opened up a huge question. And when I teach this work, we spend a lot of time talking about this question. So ah. there's so many layers of it. So, so um, uh, it, it, and it really, I think it is the central question for modern readers of Paradise Lost. So I'm really glad that you asked it now. And you'll just have to stop me when when, when we move on to another question. But um, so I think there's so there's there's fairness in that assessment. I mean Milton was clearly trying to justify the uh, God to his audience and he was a devout Puritan believer um, you know who held to fairly orthodox beliefs through most of his life, strayed into heresy by the end on some finer points. Um, <laughs> but he was a, a be- he was a believer. He was, uh, a, he, he went to prison for his political slash religious beliefs. They were not really, um, separate at that time. Um, and he certainly, certainly intended Christ to be the epic hero of this, Epic mm-hmm. and it's structured that way. Um, but what happens is, and, and is two th- two things. What Milton wrote does tend to present Satan in a more interesting way. Part of it is because he structurally it opens with Satan and hell and and his legions and hell and it grabs our attention. Um, and Satan is presented 
maybe despite Milton's intentions in very interesting ways. Mm. Um, and in Mil- Milton's defense, and this, again, this is something I love to talk about with my students is it's very difficult to make goodness interesting. So whether that goodness is Christ in the, in the, in paradise lost or Adam and Eve before the fall, um, there's some, it's just, because we are fallen and we are sinful, um, we tend to find sin more interesting. And mm. so that's just Milton. Milton can't change that no matter how he writes this book. But the other thing is um, that now, you know, in the, on the other side of the 17th century, when he wrote, um, we have been greatly influenced by modern, modernity. Um, Milton was writing in the beginning of it. The romantics came along in the late 18th, early 19th century, and they are the ones who began to write about Satan as the hero. And because we are influenced by romanticism in many ways, we don't even realize and its values. We begin, we read this and we see when Satan is defiant and saying a number of things, maybe we'll get to some of those lines later, but um, he actually embodies the values um, that modernists, tend to value. Um, we mm. value his defiance. We value his, his, his determination to make the best of what he's, you know, of what he, the bed he's made for himself. Um, those are the characteristics that we tend to value as, as modern people. And so when we read Paradise Lost, we think, oh, he's the hero. Mm. And Milton's world was very different. His values were very different. Um, and we're overlaying ours onto his. Ah, uh, which is something that as historians, we're always telling our students not to do. <laughs> we need to read exactly. everybody in their context, not uh, reading on our our day. Uh, good morning, Karen. Exactly. It's, it's uh, Michael McMullen here. Good morning. I um, as uh, an immigrant from England, it's it's uh, it's been fascinating hearing you speak on on the work of uh, one of my countrymen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it's not been bad. <laughs> no, it, it's wonderful. Um, just as a, um, a an odd kind of fact, my uh, brother, another immigrant, um, lives just outside Lynchburg, and uh, he imported a uh, the frame of a, a barn from England from the Puritan period and used that to build a, an English house in the middle of the Virginian countryside and uh, fill that with British antiques. So it, it's something of a British folly in the middle of Virginia. <laughs> I would love to see that place. That well, I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm we jealous. could arrange a tour. <laughs> oh, I would love that. Let's do. Uh, he lives in Evington, so I'm, I'm sure it's not far from okay, where you that's are. not far, no. Um, wow, a little hidden treasure. Yes. Um, and, and you know, I would like to say, as somebody who's worked on the unpublished uh, manuscripts of Wilberforce for over a decade, um, you know, I would echo um, the kind of appreciation for your work on Hannah Moore as well. Oh, thank you so much. Um, you know, uh, later I, I would be interested just to... Uh, you know, find out how you got drawn to her. Um, I, I, I'm also, uh, I was also pleased to to read about uh, how you recommended uh, Dr. Zeus 
to parents as one of the books that they should read to their children, uh, especially as as he was uh, right there at the beginning of my own kind of reading adventures as a child. <laughs> you can't do better than Dr. Seuss. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe Mil- Milton. And Maybe Milton, Milton and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to ask, um, y- you've recommended uh, Paradise Lost, uh, an annotated version of it, um, to those uh, who are unused to reading, let's say, uh, somewhat more demanding texts. And uh, I was interested why, maybe in particular, uh, this was one of the volumes that you would recommend. Uh, oh, par- why I would recommend Paradise Lost to those unused to difficult texts? Yes. Well, it it certainly is a difficult text. Um, and I think most contemporary readers, average readers, find poetry difficult in general. Yes. Um, but Milton, even though it's a, a poem, it's a it's a very engaging poem. Yes. And if one reads it like a story, which it it is, it is. I mean, mm-hmm. it is an epic tale, um, and uses all of the aids that Milton gave us, like the opening, you know, the sort of summaries at the beginning. Yes. Um, then and and pays attention. One really can follow the story. Mm-hmm. Now he, it is, you know. Milton was extremely educated. He was extremely erudite, uh, Cambridge educated, um, and he is writing an epic. So he uses a lot of epic conventions um, intentionally. He mixes in the biblical story and uh, biblical allusions with lots of allusions to the Greek and Roman epic tradition. Um, so a lot of those might be lost on, mm-hmm. on readers who don't know those. Um, and so I would recommend a good volume that has footnotes because they're just, you know, they can be easily explained and you don't have to catch them all to follow the story. Yes. Um, the other thing that Milton does, which can be distracting to people unless, until they realize that it's actually a great tool is his, because he writes in this blank verse and not in heroic couplets, which tend to have, you know, two line sentences, Mm. his sentences are very Byzantine. They're very long and meandering. <laughs> yes. Um, but but we, that actually, if we surrender to it, it can pull us in. And before we know it, we've actually read 16 lines of poetry right. before we get to the end, and then we get to the next sentence. So it can be foreign to, to contemporary readers who aren't used to, to poetry and epic. Um, but Milton has written it in such a way, I think, that is very inviting and draws us in. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that, uh, you know, Milton had uh, somewhat of um, a, a difficult life, like many of the others that we read of. Uh, he lost um, uh, two wives. He he lost the child before uh, he finished writing this. And, and if I remember rightly, he also went blind using... Uh, you know, secretaries and other friends to to actually write it by dictation. Yes, that is actually one of the most fascinating fascinating parts of of not just his life, but mm. even of this work. That he was blind by the time yes. um, he got to this, and he had to you know dictate this to various um, assistants who helped him, mm-hmm. and so 
um, to, to sit and read this and realize that he wrote it, you know, while he was blind yeah. and, uh, it, it's just amazing. Yeah. And just incredible. Um, yes. I, I, I understand. Um, but that's, that's probably, go ahead. Yes. Carry on. No, I was just gonna say that part, partly explains his poetic ear though. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, oh, yes. he, you know, he had to rely on the ear more than the eye. Mm-hmm. And so that enlivened his poetry, I think. Yes. And and I think it was said earlier. It, it's such. It, it's been viewed by so many people in, in different ways, um, it, it, taking some of its complexity, uh, interpreting it, it differently. Uh, C.S. Lewis seemingly regarded it fairly simply as as a genuine Christian morality tale. Um, you know, is that how you would view it yourself? Would you view it? differently to Lewis? Well, I'm not going to argue with Lewis, but I think he's captured it perfectly. It really is. You know, when you step apart from all of the, the, the many trees of the, of the poetry and the epic illusions and all the complexities of the work, and you just see it according to its bare bones, um, it is the, you know, it is the story of, um, of paradise lost of, yes. of, of Adam and Eve being in this wonderful, perfect place that God created of them being tricked by this evil villain, Satan. Um, hmm. And, and we do actually get Christ in the middle of the story. It's told mm-hmm. sort of, yes. out, of out of order. Um, and, uh, and, and it ends with them departing from the garden mm. and uh, in a very poignant, poignant theme. Um, and so its plot in that sense is very simple uh, as morality plays are. Um, it's straight from the Bible, yes. but yet it captures, it allows us to engage our imaginations mm-hmm. in this epic true tale um, in a way that, you know, that, that is extra biblical, meaning that it's, you know, it's, it, includes many, many details that are not in the Bible and yet encourages us to think about that minimal spare um, narration that the Bible gives in ways beyond because there's so many details the Bible doesn't give us. And I think God gave us imaginations mm-hmm. to flesh yes. out some of those things. Yeah. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, and we asked this of many of our guests, is what would happen if there wasn't a paradise lost? And, and again, getting at what are the layers of interconnectivity for um, uh, for this work, really all the way up to the modern modern time? If we hadn't had Milton, w- what would we be missing out on? Mm. Well, it's, you know, I think I think that we would not have in literature the anti-hero as we understand it. I think in mm. some ways Milton is the first anti-hero, and anti-heroes are extremely popular today um and without even us necessarily realizing it um and so we would so then along with that there are many other uh works of literature that that we Mm. would not have um that i think because i happen to actually um 
like darker literature and tragedy rather than comedy and so forth. <laughs> um, I, 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 I think that even though some people might think, well, why would we want to have antiheroes? Why do we want to have these darker stories and appeal to our, our, our darker instincts? Um, I think that allows us actually to see ourselves in, in different ways and to recognize ourselves. Um, it's awfully hard to, to identify with the Christ of Paradise Lost because mm. he's perfect. It's awfully hard to identify with Adam because he's kind of a prig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, both before and after the fall. Um, and then all the angels that come along, you know, they're very ethereal uh, figures. Um, but sometimes the anti-hero, we can, we can see ourselves in the mm. anti-hero and, 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 and see the corrections we need to make, even in the figure of Satan here. Yeah. Man, that's fantastic. Mm. So for our listeners, one of the things we do at Midwestern is we are for the church. And uh, so many of our listeners um, are pastors or church leaders. What does Milton have to do with the church? How, how should uh, those who are engaged in leadership within congregations uh, understand the value and worth of Milton? Well, of course, we've talked about his his great masterpiece, Paradise Lost. But I think there's a lot, um, even if you don't want to tackle this, um, some of his shorter pieces, his sonnet on his blindness mm. is, is is a powerful, powerful <clears throat> piece, especially for this for this time. I was um, thinking about it in this time of 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 you know of quarantine yes. where we're not able to do as much, and those famous last lines because in, in the sonnet. Um, he is struggling with the loss of his eyesight and he's feeling like he didn't use the talent that he with that God gave him, hmm. the, the eyesight that he uses to write. He didn't use it enough while he had it. Wow. And that he's going to stand before God and be judged and for for not being a good steward of this talent. And hmm. oh and um I thought I had it marked here and I just, I want to read the last couple of lines that I know I'm kind of meandering from, from the question, but it's um, Milton is an inspiring Christian person in his faith and in his life. And um, so he, in the poem, he just, he, he's worried he hasn't used the talent. And the last line is simply um, they also serve who stand and wait mm-hmm. and just waiting and being being patient with ourselves and trusting God is a way of serving God and serving the church. We don't always have to be busy yes. doing things. Mm. Um, and the other thing that I want to say that Milton served the church in so well is he wrote a lot of tracts and treatises that are because he was a political pamphleteer mm-hmm. and activist and so forth. Um, one of his most important works and actually one of the ones that changed my life is not Paradise Lost, but it's his pamphlet Areopagitica. Mm in which he lays out for the first time really in modern Western history, the idea of, he doesn't, it's not quite this, he doesn't use this term, but free speech. Um, The government not censoring ideas. And again, he's writing for the church. He's writing for his church. Mm -hmm. And he's telling his fellow Puritans that if we don't read widely and we don't read even heretical ideas and weigh and judge them, that even if we believe what is true and orthodox, mm. if we don't know why we believe it, it becomes heresy. Wow. That, mm. I think, is a great gift to the yes. church, and that's part of his legacy. And part of what, what allowed him to write Paradise Lost, because he was drawing on these ideas mm. his whole life. Wow. Well, 
Karen, thank you so much for joining us and being a part of this week in church history. I do hope uh, our listeners will go and grab a copy of Paradise Lost and and possibly uh, even start reading more broadly in the 17th century at the ways that uh, whether Bunyan or Milton um, are, are bringing these ideas and concepts together, trying to stay consistent with their faith, even in the midst of tumultuous times uh, and being faithful uh, with what they do. As always, uh, listeners, you can grab uh, some of these works at the Sword and Trowel bookstore uh, that's on the campus of uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can't get there right now, but you can order online. And so we'd uh, love to have you be able to find us there. Uh, and you can find uh, Karen Swallow Pryor's books there as well. And we would strongly encourage you to pick up On Reading Well, Finding the Good Life Through Great Literature. Uh, it's a great book and an encouragement for all of us about the importance of engaging uh, in broad spectrums of literature uh, for the development of our own hearts and lives and souls. Thanks again, Karen, and hopefully we'll have you back in the future to talk about uh, Hannah Moore. Thank you. Thank you.